In this episode, Ken Schumann and guest speaker Tammy DeRotter and a group of faith walkers reflect on the topic of Can Joy and Anxiety Coexist? This conversation was originally recorded in December of 2022. We want to remind you, Faith Walking's mission is to make wholeness possible for individuals, communities, and the world. Visit us at www.faithwalking.us. Join this conversation. Today, uh, I have asked Tammy, the writer, uh, if she would lead our conversation for us. And she's gladly done that. And so, Tammy, I'm going to invite you to uh, dive in and, uh, and lead away. Uh, sure. Um, well, in line with what Ken mentioned are the topics of the upcoming faith walking retreats and um, events that are happening, um, I started meditating. So he's a lot, the topics coming up pertain to anxiety, right? And I found myself thinking about, can joy and anxiety coexist? And I'm gonna leave that open-ended for discussion later. But um, let me step sideways for just a second. This is a freebie right off the cuff here (laughs) to keep you all up to speed a little bit in my life. I am currently on a 12-week teaching assignment at a private high school, and I am teaching AP World History. And uh, for the last week, while not a part of World History, I have been encouraging the kids to write out... um, a current events essay, and that I would I would help them with their writing. One of the number one things that employers are looking for in any sector, from business to social services to whatever, is young people coming into the workplace that know how to write. That is a deficiency right now in the in the younger generation coming up. So um, I have been trying to teach these tenth graders about writing an an opening paragraph that includes a thesis that tells the reader where you're going. Then there's the body of the paper that supports that. And then you summarize in your concluding paragraph what you have just said. I say all of that because I am bookending this talk with two uh, Christmas hymns. And my subtitle of what I want to talk about, Can Joy and Anxiety Coexist? My subtitle is A Faith Walking Christmas Meditation. So that's, um, that's kind of where we're going. And let me start out with the, with the opening hymn, if you will. Joyful, joyful, we adore you, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before you opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. 
And so goes the first stanza of that beloved Christmas hymn. And of course, it's actually a poem set to Beethoven's famous Ode to Joy. Uh, but that's beside the point. One hymnologist writes this about that Christmas song, and I love how he wrote this. He wrote, quote, creation itself cannot conceal its joy, and that joy is appreciated by God, the center of it all. Likewise, all nature fills us with joy, caused fundamentally by our recognition of God as the giver. I think we humans experience joy on so many levels. It's, it's complicated. We witness and embrace a certain amount of joy expressed by creation. For example, when birds sing or when the wind tickles leaves and creates a playful sound to our ears, etc. Number two, we bask in the joy of God as he delights in us. And that comes across sometimes simply as a smile from someone else, or maybe as a feeling that tangibly washes over us. And we experience our own joy as we live and work and breathe, maybe during times of reflection. So sometimes it's conscious, sometimes unconsciously um, on all that God has done for us and through us and in us. Anyway, we can't approach this topic without a Ken-style look at the words themselves. And the word joy is used um, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, obviously. I want to look at both words, the Hebrew and the Greek, and then uh, connect it to the faith walking topics uh, and things that we're learning here. So that's where we're going. Okay. I am not a scholar of language, but in Hebrew, so this is really, really elementary scratching of the surface. In the Hebrew, the Old Testament word is spelled S I M C H A, and that's pronounced Sim with a guttural at the end. And it means happy, glad, or joyful. So the word literally means gladness or joy. And it can be used to describe any joyous celebration. And in the Old Testament, is used to describe very physical responses, leaping, shouting, singing, laughing, playing music, and dancing. King David says in Psalm 30, 12, you turned my mourning into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, with simcha. It's also um, one that implies a choice we get to make to feel better. The word is two Hebrew words put together, that first half that I mentioned, sim, which is the imperative, if you know English language, it's the command form of the word in English, put, as in put something on. I am commanding you, I'm beseeching you, put something on, do it. And then the word kaf, which in Hebrew means 
to laugh. The word is literally commanding us to laugh, to put on laughter. Psalm 126, 2 says, then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. So an attitude of simcha is commanded in order to bring attention to God and witness to the greatness of God. Okay, the Greek. So what's going on in Greek? I didn't know that Hebrew, but I'm guessing you all know the Greek, no doubt. We've talked about it in here and keep calm before. It's that kara from which we get charisma, meaning joy or delight. And there's a different Greek word also in the New Testament that in English we translate um, to exult or rejoice greatly. But in this case, we're just looking at the word that we have translated from kara, okay? So it's the word kara. It's used in Matthew 2. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And in the King James, which I'm not necessarily advocating, but the word is used 56 times. Strikes me that this concept, old and new, matter, matters to God. But here's my favorite and last note on the linguistic stuff, and then we'll move on. Strong's Concordance gives the Greek translation of kara a definition. That surprised me. Cheerfulness that is a calm delight. And I found myself going, what the heck? <laughs> that is not the ha-ha jump from the mountains joy of the Old Testament, of David dancing with joy in the streets, at least as I have read and pulled out the Old Testament verses. It strikes me that in the Greek, there's a much more nuanced and almost a more internal shifting of the word. I haven't read that. That's simply me reflecting on that. Anyway, as I'm reading in both the Old and New Testaments, there are places where the word that we translate joy is used. One, as a gift imparted from God, as in he turned my morning into dancing, where God is the agent of that change in the psalm. And in the New Testament, joy is dispensed as one of the fruits of the Spirit, right? Again, it's a gift given by God to his recipient. So in both of those cases, God is agent and giving joy to us. Anyway, that works really nicely for <laughs> For the faith walking segue that I want to make here. Last week, during Keep Calm, one of the last sentences out of anybody's mouth was Saul when he referenced the upcoming holidays. And he said that he mentioned that many of us would have family coming over for the holidays. And he said, and I wrote this down, so I'm quoting him that can be a joyful time and an anxious time. And the obvious answer is yes, of course we can. We all do it all the time. But let me offer quickly two ways to think about it, or at least two ways that I have been thinking about it. These are some personal musings with zero research or credibility. Okay? In my experience, it seems that joy and anxiety work in an inverse relationship 
to one another. What does that mean? It means that when one goes up, the other goes down. They move in opposite relationship with one another. Anxiety goes up, joy goes down, or vice versa. At least I think that's how many of us experience that. And that's simply a way to think about it, a way to cognitively think about it. Faith Walking teaches us to be aware of our anxiety. And as we're dialing in on anxiety and the physical manifestation of that anxiety, right? How is it showing up in our body? Perhaps I'm offering a second way to enter into that cognitive process of grasping our anxiety by saying, okay, here's anxiety. Here's how it's manifesting in my body. Where, where is my joy going? What's happening in reverse? As the anxiety is going up, I'm losing peace. I'm losing joy. I'm losing who I am. Cognitively, God help me come back to that place of centering in my life. Anyway, that's, that's one thing. So as I think about it, um, I also experience this in another way, you know, as well. In, in, in this second way, this last way that I'm, I'm bringing up, joy has nothing to do with emotion or celebration or laughter or gladness or anything else, but instead is a baseline, a given, a state of being, if you will. It grounds me in who I am. My joy is an unmoving baseline, regardless of the swirl around me, or the irritating church member, or the uncomfortable family gathering, or whatever it is that wants to spike our anxiety and steal our joy. It's that foundational knowing that says, I am a human being, deeply flawed, but also deeply known, and I am loved by my creator God, nothing will change that. And I think that's where faith walking is trying to move us to. I don't suggest that I have that as a spiritual gift. I'm saying, I think that is where God wants to move us to. The faith, the faith walking mission statement states that our purpose is to make wholeness possible for individuals, communities, and the world. So can joy and anxiety coexist? Of course they can. We live in a broken world, but faith walking encourages us to be curious about that anxiety and to take our woundedness to the Father. And when that anxiety is triggered, ask yourselves those questions of where's that coming from? What just got triggered? There's an old wound trying to surface. How is that manifesting in my body? But use those moments to hit pause and remember who you are, who we are, as the beautiful human beings we were created to be and are still becoming. To remember who you are in Christ. I'm getting to the closing Christmas hymn. So hang with me here. Really close. We live in the world of the now and the not yet, of a savior who has come, but is coming back a second time. 
it doesn't mean that the measure of both our joy and anxiety is fixed. It's changing. And part of the challenge for those of us exercising our faith walking muscle is to learn to recognize and manage the anxious peace, thus allowing that joyous peace to grow until that day we're finally and completely whole. This time of year, all around us are tangible reminders that God sent us joy in a manger, in the form of a baby. And we know not to expect him at a balloon draped cake and glitzy baby shower. He arrives in a dirty, out of the way farm shed, a place of neglect. Lou Lotz is a retired RCA pastor and he writes, look for God's leading in setback and sorrow. Don't neglect to look for God's grace in the unexpected, even the unwelcome. God has a way of showing up in the most unexpected places. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. And so we sing, joy to the world, the Lord has come. One final thought to that song, the song itself doesn't go climbing up to the ceiling. The notes don't reach up to the heavens. Musically, they come tumbling down the musical staircase. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And again, Lou Lutz writes about that song, how very appropriate. At Christmas, God came down to earth and the angels rejoiced. I am grounded in joy and I choose to rejoice. So do you. So does the world. Merry Christmas and let earth receive her king. Amen. So what do you think? What do you think that? What gets stirred up in you? Plenty gets stirred up for me. So I'll just mention one thing for now, while everybody else is still thinking. Uh, I, I remember that old analogy, metaphor of, uh, uh, I think it's the wolves, the old Indian story, and which one wins is the one you feed the most. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I thought about the idea that I can either feed my anxiety or I can feed my joy. Because I, I loved what you said. Joy is an unmoving baseline. It's a gift from God. God has given it to me. But that doesn't mean that even though it's always present, it 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 isn't always front and center. So my anxiety can can cloud out my joy, my anxiety um, robs my joy. But instead of allowing that to happen, instead of feeding my anxiety, I feed my joy. And then I can be joyful in spite of my anxiety. 
that's what got stirred up for me. I love that. Yeah, thank you. And the reference to that story of which do we feed is the one that wins is mm-hmm. perfect. I honestly I can relate to this in so many ways, so many levels, because as I was going in between doctor's offices and sitting in it at one point, it's taken me weeks and months to get to certain diagnoses and the waiting period is the worst. I already in my head, I'm thinking the worst. And as I was sitting there, the longer it took, the longer and longer, I felt my anxiety start to rise. And I literally, I had to talk myself down. I was like, I can't focus on this. I can't keep feeding this. And I just started singing a hymn in the waiting area to myself of course. And I I just, I was like, Lord, you know, I know you're with me. I know that whatever you'll, you know, keep and stay with me. But the days prior, as anxiety was rising through certain circumstances this past week that were really difficult, each time I said, I'm not going to sit here and focus on this. At one point, my husband's like, well, let's talk about this. I'm like, no, let's play dominoes. (laughs) I need to get off this subject right now. And so um, I do believe it is what you focus on, but there, I don't, I can't honestly say that I was practicing joy, but I wasn't like wanting to jump up and down and, you know, uh, hug everybody. I had to turn on music. I had to do a lot of studying in God's word, meditation and pray. Um, it, it just, and, and once I actually journaled a lot and, and spent some time in God's word, I did feel peace come over me, but I I didn't get that happy. Just, you know, it was like very intentional the whole week. So I I don't know if that makes any sense. That's stirring for me, Brenda, an interesting thought that I'm not sure how to articulate. I, I, it was your reference to dominoes <laughs> is, is where my brain is going. And I don't think that's choosing joy. I think that's numbing out. And it made me think of the video games that I turn to when, if I'm anxious and that's not the same thing. I'm guilty of it too, is what I'm saying. But I don't think that's the same thing as choosing joy. No, that's, well, right? playing, well, playing dominoes with my husband does bring me joy because I'm very competitive with him and so we're competitive with each other. So and we have a really good time playing dominoes. And so I, I just, I didn't want to take another phone call. I didn't want to have to deal with another issue. I really needed yeah. a timeout is what I was needing, you know, away from discussing heavy stuff, you know. So a distraction though. I, I mean, yes, that's. The, yes. The, I did. Yeah. What what I heard what I heard Brenda say was it brings her great joy to beat her husband in dominoes. That's it what I heard. Does. It does. See, see what I'm yeah. saying? It brings her great joy. That's very cute. Having those tools though for distraction while the anxiety goes down, I think is incredibly important. Tools that will ultimately lead us back on the joy track. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's like somebody that goes to a gym to relieve stress. I don't think it's a distraction. I just, I think it's a tool. Somebody that takes a long walk, you know, just in silence so that they can kind of meditate or who yeah. practices playing instruments or painting as, you know, painting is my thing, you know, uh-huh. so 
I, I think there has to be a little bit of an edge of distraction to kind of take re, refocus, you know, recess, mm-hmm. get the re, the rewind or reset button. <laughs> I think it reminds me of um, a couple of points that um, was brought up um, during. Um, I was speaking with one of the one of the coaches, and we were talking about how this links in with Sabbath and uh, let's say intentional rest. Now, for example, for some people, um, going into the garden uh, can be anything but rest. But for those of us who like uh, the garden, although there's, let's say, maybe hard graft to be done. I mean, last night, um, there was, it's got really quite frosty and cold here in the UK. I've left my dahlias, or as you say in the States, dahlias, <laughs> tomatoes, tomatoes. Um, uh, and what you need to do is leave them for the first, uh, you know, till they're, they've got that first frost. Now, uh, so I've done that and I'm thinking, when's the frost going to come? And now I'm thinking, well, I've got this to do, I've got that to do, and I've got several things. So there's a little bit of anxiety there, but at the same time, um, when I'm out in the garden, there's it's 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 life giving in that way. So even though one is in the, it, for some people that might be quite stressy, but for me, um, the the garden, although it may certain aspects of the garden may be, let's say in commas, hard work and it needs to be done. Um, it brings uh, a sense of satisfaction. So it may well be that if one is anxious, uh, that's that's one's go-to place. Whereas for somebody else, um, uh, the garden may well be the last thing to do. So whether it's dominoes or the garden or going for a run or going for the gym, um, it, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're all sort of like, individual so doing the garden for one person um uh, it might be oh goodness me i've got to do the garden and it's a pain in the neck um whereas um i del- i i i don't mind the weeds i delegate weeding um to my to my uh to my manager <laughs> and uh, she loves doing it but for me, there's more important things to be doing than the weeding and it's it's that type of thing that you know we're all individually uh tailored and uniquely made in that in that respect but uh, sometimes as i say it's um for me garden is a time of rest and sabbath in that way so yeah for me my walk is not distraction when jesus shows up in our world now do i recognize or am i missing it um am i missing him i don't want to make this impersonal and and that's that's a reminder Maybe that's my on-off switch for for putting the the anxiety, which I'm certainly feeling, um, but looking beyond that and, and and flicking that switch so that I can say, okay, yes, that's there, but but let's let's see. This afternoon I work in the food pantry. Can I see Jesus at the food pantry today? And that's going to be my focus. Um, so thank you for this. This real, I love the way everything's coming together in my life with with the studies that I've been doing. So this is this is wonderful. Thank you. Oh, that's beautiful. No, thank you for that reflection, Judith. I've just been in so much pain over the last few weeks. But all the normal things I would do to distract myself, I can't do anymore. I can't sew, I can't weave, I can't read, I can't watch television. So that thing of choosing joy makes so much sense. That's the only way to survive at the moment. Just 
choosing joy each day and not being anxious about, is this going to last forever? Gosh, if that was easy, though, Carol, wouldn't we all just be a happy bunch walking around? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's hard. It is hard. And all the harder if your body is in physical pain, you and Brenda have to struggle with so much. Most of us can't imagine. I was about to say, Carol, I'm sorry, Ken, you were going to say something. I can, I can completely relate to that. And I, and I, when I think back or each day as I struggle with my chronic pain or inability, disabilities to get around very well, I look back at all the years that have gone by that I've been dealing with this. And I just tell myself, look, you got through this day. You just, you can, you can get through this day or when the good days come, I just really celebrate those days, but I, I quit looking <clears throat> When is it going to end? And I have been asking God to just show me what is it you're trying to show me rather than saying, why God? Because I've done the why thing so many times. But yeah. And uh, yeah. Um, and, I, and I think as well, we've all had, perhaps we've all had situations where the why question isn't answered and never will be answered. So one then asks oneself, what does one do? Um, and I think, I mean, this is just a, a suggestion. He's either one going to deliver us. And if he doesn't, um, there's that promise that he's going to keep us. And it's trusting him as our keeper, that, I, that I'm kept in him, even though I may not necessarily have the why question answered. You know, um, I'm sorry, John. Go ahead. Mm. Uh, and it's it, it's I'm I'm trusting you that you're going to keep me. And it's and that's and I know this is hard to do because I, it's I'm, I'm speaking as much to myself here as as anybody else. And it, it, there's certain things that you know I guess we all find difficult. But I mean I've, I find difficult. And it's trying to live in a 24-hour compartment. I'm trusting you to keep me today. Not necessarily for tomorrow, because tomorrow hasn't come. But I'm trusting you I'm, that you're going to keep me for these 24 hours. And then the following day, you're my keeper. And then Michael J. Fox uh, said a quote many years ago when he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And he's had some serious falls and other things that have happened since then. Um, he said, Lord, if you're not going to heal me, if you're not going to take this away, then just give me these shoulders to carry the strike, to handle the strike. And yes, and it's a day-to-day -day thing. I, I I quit looking to next week and the next. And yet we can walk in joy without the why being answered, without the pain going away. Somehow he gives us joy. Or we can choose joy. So back to that idea of, of numbing, uh, I'd, I'd like to say this because this is what I thought of. So I think there are two really important places of awareness for us. One is, so here, here's what I acknowledge, and, and this is true for me. There are times when I numb, and there are ways that I numb, and I don't think there's anything wrong with numbing, but I think it's important that I'm aware of what are the ways that I numb myself, TV, poker, what, whatever they are, and again, that doesn't mean there's bad, and but but numbing is different than feeding joy. And so what what are the things 
that feed joy for me also and awareness about those things so that so that I do have my own agency to choose okay I can choose anxiety and I can just stay in the anxiety or I can choose to numb and here are the ways that I choose to numb but but here's a strategy that that I'm aware of and I'm thoughtful about that is my strategy for feeding my joy uh, and I and I think just being aware of all three of those different things is helpful. Very much so. Thank you for clarifying that. That is a just far my thoughts. better than I, I tried at the beginning here. No, yes. just my thoughts. Yeah, yeah. For more information about faith walking, visit www faithwalking.us. We want to remind you that Faith Walking exists because of your financial support. Please consider giving at faithwalking.us backslash donate. Thank you for listening.